0: Romans chapter twelve, please. Romans twelve And uh I'm just gonna read the first two verses of Romans twelve. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, whole and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you that we can come together tonight and we can take this time away from our busy schedules, away from the world, and take time to meditate upon your word we thank you for your word we thank you for this precious book and we do pray that tonight as we look into the pages of this book that we might glean father god from it what you have for us may your word father by the spirit of god be applied to our hearts and lives may we not leave this place without having received something from you through your word and guide us now as we study together give me wisdom i pray from on high use me to your glory i pray and we'll be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory in jesus name Romans 12, 1 and 2 are extremely important verses for those of us who are born-again believers, for those who are Christians. They express for us our most important responsibility to God. And that is that namely, we are to submit completely to the Lordship of Christ in our lives. There used to be a popular saying which went, God is my co-pilot. That does not give God his rightful place. Because you know, God does not want to be our co pilot. He wants to be our pilot. And really we notice when we hear in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that Paul addresses his appeal to believers. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. He doesn't speak to the unsaved here in Romans 12. For the dedication that he talks about here in Romans 12 to God is a response to the mercy that God has shown to you and I, that you and I have already received at the hand of the Lord during salvation remember that I beseech you therefore brethren by the mercies of God so this is for you and I who know Jesus Christ our Savior and it's a response to the mercy of God what God has already done for us it's not a condition for receiving mercy this is a result in action because of the mercy that you and I receive It's a voluntary commitment that every Christian should make to the Lord because we love Him, because we love the Lord, because we love the Savior who died for us, because of all the mercy He has shown to you and I, you and I should willingly, voluntarily surrender ourselves to de- and commit ourselves to serving Him, dedicate ourselves to the Lord. But not every Christian makes that choice. You know, it's possible to be a Christian without ever making this commitment. Because this commitment is voluntary. God does not make any one of us as believers surrender to him to present our bodies as living sacrifices to God. It's a voluntary action, but it's an action that all of us ought to take in response to all that God's done for us as we continue in Romans 12, we've seen Romans 12.1, we've seen part of verse 2, we need to understand that these verses are of critical importance to us in our walk of faith. Here the Lord by the Apostle Paul is trying to encourage you and I to live righteous lives by presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, wholly and acceptable unto God. And that will happen as you and I are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And then in Romans 12:2 he goes on to say that, that this dedication to the Lord leads you and I to delight in God's will. Notice what he says in verse 2: "And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When you and I dedicate ourselves to God, when we present our bodies as living sacrifice." And accept unto God, and when you and I are allowing God to transform us by the renewing of minds, that results in a delight in God's will. Once we have made the commitment to live righteously towards God, and as you and I are daily maintaining that commitment, Romans twelve two C says that we will firstly want to know by proof the will of God. The result in action. Of verse 1 and 2, the result and action of the actions that we're commanded to take, or that we're encouraged to take here, the result and action of presenting our bodies as living sacrifices and allowing God to transform us by the of mind, the result of that is that you and I will want to know by proof the will of God. Notice what he says at the end of verse 2 there that we may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, that we may prove what is the will of God of God. The word prove here means to examine, to scrutinize, to test, and to ultimately approve of God's will. So you and I are to put to test the test what does God want for us. Now remember this is connected to the renewing of our minds and we renew our minds through the Word of God. So you and I are scrutinizing God's Word, we're testing God's Word, examining God's Word, to find out God's will for us because God has revealed his will for believers in his word. And so we, once we are dedicated to the Lord and we are living that way daily, you and I will want to know God's will. And the way we find that is by scrutinizing the word of God. The reason why we are to be transformed by the renewing of our minds is so that we might prove or that we might find out what the will of God is for our lives. What's the motivation for you and I every day spending time in the Word of God? What's the motivation for you and I every day reading God's Word, memorizing God's Word, meditating on God's Word? Well, ultimately, part of the motivation for that is not only to get to know God, but get to know the will of God. This is the ultimate motive for us. To do all that we've been exhorted to do in Romans 12:1 and 2, so that we may find out for our lives individually what the will of God is for us. You see, God's will is not something that is mystical, hidden, that you and I are not intended to find. That is supposed to be on a treasure hunt to hunt it out. God's will for us is clear and evident in the Word of God. God desires for us to know His will. But it's only as you and I are renewed in the mind that we can hope to know God's will for us. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, the ultimate object of the new mind is to enable us to understand and to appreciate the will of God in a way that was impossible before. The reason why we want to have renewed minds is so that we might understand the will of God. We are reminded here that we're not just following a set of rules when it comes to believers. You and I are transformed and we are renewed from within. And that renewing comes through the knowledge of God's Word and with that knowledge comes the knowledge of God's will and the power to do it. Somebody said, are we, as we're transformed in the inside, the proof is evident on the outside. You see, what God wants you and I to do as believers is to present our bodies as living sacrifice, holding sacrifice on to God, and that we are then to be not conformed to this world, but transformed in our minds so that you and I then might evidence externally for all to see that you and I are living in accordance with the will of God. That people can see Christ in us, the hope of glory. He quote Martin Lord Jones again. He says this, What then is the goal of Christian conduct? Well, it's not that I should be pleased with myself, nor that I should please others, nor that I should be above criticism or suspicion, nor that I should be a good citizen of my country. It is none of those things, though it includes them all. No, Christianity does not look at things from the human standpoint. He then goes on to say this, The Christian is not interested in what people think or say, but in what God says. The ultimate objective of the whole of the Christian life is to bring us into conformity with the will of God. Once we're saved, God's intention for every one of us is that you and I will be conformed to his will. We'll be transformed into the will of God. That's what God desires for all of us. The reason why he gave us his word is to reveal himself and in revealing himself through the doctrines and the teaching of God's word, he reveals for you and I what we ought to be. And God desires for you and I to be like Christ. That's his will for you and I and then he spells out for you and I what that ought to look like and God wants to renew our minds so that you and I then might be empowered to live the will of of God, living conformity to the will of God. The object of salvation is not merely to deliver us from hell. It's not merely to give us a home in heaven. The object of salvation was intended to make us conform to the will of God. God saved us for a purpose. God saved us for a reason. He saved us so that we might be conformed to the image of His Son. That's Romans chapter 8. Remember that? Romans 8? Romans chapter 8. We read in verse 27, He that searcheth the heart knows what is in the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh a decision for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things were together for good, to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he'd also predestinate, to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. God's purpose for you and I is that you and I will be conformed to the image of the Son, that you and I will be conformed to His will. We were created and we were saved for His glory. Look with me in Ephesians, please. Ephesians chapter 1. As in Ephesians, it spells out for us clearly why we were saved. In Romans, uh, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6, it says this, Let's pick it up, verse five. Having predestinated us to the adoption of children by Jesus Christ Himself according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, when it has made us accepted in the beloved. And then in verse twelve we read this that we should be to the praise of his glory, who first ter- trusted in Christ. And then verse fourteen, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. That's why God saved us. He saved us for the praise of His glory. He saved us for a purpose. He saved us so that you and I would be conformed to His will, that we bring glory to His name. That's the principle that, that Romans chapter 12, 1 and 2 is talking about, teaching us here. That the whole purpose of our salvation, of all those great doctrines that were spelled out in Romans chapter 1 through Romans chapter 8, because of the mercy of God, all that God's done for us, the purpose of salvation is that you and I would bring glory to God, that you and I would indeed be able to know the will of God. The objects of salvation might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We're meant for nothing less than that. Go with me to Titus. Titus chapter 2, please. Titus chapter 2. And verse 14, that's what it says here. It says, this time about Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify in himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2. And verse 9. Which ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into marvelous light. You and I were created, you and I were saved for a purpose. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 10 says this, that you and I are to prove what is acceptable unto the Lord. In fact, he says you and I must pay great attention to the renewing of our mind, because if we do not, we'll never prove what God's will is. You see, you and I, God did not save you and I so that you and I then could spend the rest of our lives doing as we please. He didn't save us so that you and I could have a free ticket to heaven and therefore it doesn't matter what we do, we can just do as we please, that's okay. He saved us for His glory. He saved us for a purpose. Christ shed His precious blood to redeem us so that we might indeed do His works. We're meant to live according to the will of God and rejoice in it. Isn't that what Ephesians 2.10 says? Ephesians 2.8 and 9 For by grace you are saved through faith, know of yourselves a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And ye are his workmanship in Christ Jesus, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works. You should walk in them. We're created in Christ Jesus unto good works. That's his purpose for us, to bring glory to him. And you and I are to, by proof, by proving, by examining, by studying the Word of God, by scrutinizing God's Word, you and I are to find out what God's will is for our lives. He saved us for that purpose. Now you and I are to present our bodies as living sacrifices Paul one that God was a reasonable service and we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and not conforming to this world. Why? That you and I might indeed, by scrutinizing God's word, by being renewed in the mind, come to know God's will for our lives. And once we have made a commitment to live righteously toward God and we're maintaining that commitment, you and I will want to know by proof the will of God. And secondly... We want to know a description of that will. You and I will then start to study God's word and we'll start to scrutinize God's truth because we want to know not only what God's will is, but we want it to be identified for us. We want God's word to describe his will for us. And here in verse 2, God gives to us three words that describe God's will for us in, in uh, if you like, in summary the will of God is described here by these three words. Notice what he says. Firstly, God's will is good. So be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the new mind, that you may prove what is that good will of God. God's will is good. You know, when we think with renewed minds, when we study God's word, when we scrutinize the scriptures, when you are get a hold on the doctrines of the word of God, what you and I will discover is that the will of God is good. That is, that you and I will find that God's will is a wonderful discovery. There is nothing fearful about the will of God. You know, it's not a case of you open God's word and start to scrutinize it. and I'm I'm, I'm going to look for God's will and I'm scared of what God's will might be. You know, I mean, what's he going to ask of me? God says his will is good. And when you and I allow him to transform our minds as we scrutinize the word of God, we meditate upon the word of God, what we'll find is, what we'll discover is, that the will of God is a wonderful discovery. You know, by nature, many feel that God is against them and that God's ways are bad for them. So when things go wrong, they instinctively ask, why should God do this to me? What have I done that God should treat me like this? Some other people have the idea that if they yield to the will of God, God will make them live a life that is unacceptable. and they will cramp their lives. You know, cramp their lifestyle. They, they'll have a life that just is totally miserable, unenjoyable, a life of slavery and, and, and uh, a life that just has no joy in it whatsoever. Because, you know, God's a terrible ogre who wants the worst for his children. God's a terrible ogre who just loves to see his children squirm in anguish and agony. And well, That's not the God we serve. God's will is good. Someone said, some have the idea that Christianity is something that fetters us and hinders us from doing so many things. You know, that's just simply the old trick of the devil. You know, the old trick of the devil is the same today as it was with Adam and Eve. The devil wants you and I to believe like he wanted Adam and Eve to believe that God's will is not good. Go back to Genesis chapter 3, please. Genesis chapter 3. And verse 1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto, her, and said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. What God's told you, is wrong. Gets you to doubt the will of God. That God's will is not good for you. That doing God's will is not the best thing. There's something more. If you do the will of God, you'll miss out on all of this. If I confine myself to soaking God's will for my life, then everything else will be missed out on. All the good things that I could have have gone. And God says, no, the best thing, the good thing, the most wonderful thing for you is my will. It doesn't matter what area of life it is. It doesn't matter what you're pursuing. The best place to be, the, the most wonderful place to be, is in the center of God's will. There is nothing better. There isn't more, anything more wonderful. And when you're in the center of God's will, you're not missing out on anything. What's the best for you? You know, the truth and the comfort for us as believers is that His will is good. It's beneficial. One commentator said this, Now as we have seen, the apostle tells us here that when our minds are renewed and when we do everything we can to encourage that process of renewal, our whole attitude towards the will of God changes so that far from regarding the will of God as bad, we come to see that it is good. We prove that it is a good will. It's a good will. We need to understand that the will of God benefits us and that you and I benefit from doing the will of God. No matter whether you're young or whether you're old or in between today, when it comes to God's will, it's for our benefit and we benefit every time that we seek and do the will of God. We'll be better for it. We'll have better lives. We'll have better families. We'll have better values. There's nothing better than being in the center of God's will. Because God's will is good. And don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And young people in particular. Don't let anyone tell you that doing God's will means that you're restricted and you're missing out all the good things in life. Because all the good things the devil would want you to do are not good for you. The most wonderful thing, the best thing, the good thing, the beneficial thing is the will of God. No one ever loses by submitting to God's will. The will of God is good. Remember what it says in Romans 8.28? All things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. If you and I are living out his purpose in our lives, then all things work together for good. That's God's promise. Paul adds a second word. He says, God's, God's will good, but God's will is acceptable, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. says so, so that those who have their... uh, their minds renewed by scrutinizing the word of God not only find that God's will is beneficial, good but they also begin to like it it's acceptable you know when we're renewed in our minds we will find that we approve of the will of God in the sense that we really desire and rejoice in it See, there's one other thing that happens When you and I finally decide that God's will is good, it's beneficial, and you and I scrutinize the word of God to find out the will of God, and we submit ourselves by presenting ourselves as living sacrifice, holiness unto God, and we allow God to renew our minds by the word of God and we scrutinize that word, we find that God's word teaches us that his will is good, it's, it's beneficial. And then when you and I allow him to work in us, and allowing them to work his will in and through us, we also find his will is acceptable. We begin to like it. We begin to desire it and rejoice in it. When the psalmist said in Psalm 1997, Oh, how I love thy law. He was expressing his approval of God's law, of God's will, God's word. In Romans chapter 2 and verse 18, Paul expresses the same idea. He says, And knowest his will, and approvest the things that are more excellent, being instructed out of the law. As we're instructed out of God's word, and our minds are renewed by that scrutinizing the word of God, then you and I find in God's word his will, and we find that will is good, And then when we submit ourselves to God, we find that we start to desire it. We start to love it. We start to approve of it. You know, they don't say the commandments of God are grievous. They have uh, a hatred for God's will. And they find God is a hard taskmaster. You know, they mock believers because of the restrictions that God puts upon us. Because of the things we're not allowed to do. And they find, therefore, that God is a hard taskmaster. but to those of us who are saved, we find that they're acceptable. Look in First John, please. First John chapter five. First John five, verse one. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and every one that loveth him beget uh, uh, sorry that beget loveth him also that is begotten of him. For this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory of the world even our faith. It says in verse 3 there and his commandments are not grievous. John says that those of us who are born again, the commandments of God are not grievous. In other words, they're not burdensome. When you and I find out God's will in his word, and you and I start to allow God to work in us, and we start to do the will of God, what we find is that they're not burdensome. He mentions this in Matthew chapter 11. The Lord talks about this kind of relationship in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. God's will is not burdensome. When you're walking in the middle of the will of God, it is not burdensome. There's nothing burdensome about it because we're taking his yoke upon us and his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I'm no longer able to rub against the grain. They're acceptable. God's will is acceptable. Acceptable. If we'll put God to the test, if you and I will prove the will of God, we'll find that God's will is well-pleasing to us. In fact, what we'll find is we enjoy doing God's will. When you walk in the center of God's will, there's nothing more that you want to do than what you're doing. Even with the obstacles, the hurdles, the difficulties that life brings along the way, and we all face them, when you're walking in the center of God's will, you find that there's nothing else you want to do than what you're doing. Because it's acceptable. Now, some people think that God's will is always going to be something they won't like. That God's going to ask us to do something that's going to be absolutely awful. That, that you know, it's going to be a burden. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be so such a terrible thing. You know, I'm scared to yield myself to the will of God because I know if I do, God's going to ask me to do something I really don't want to do. I really don't want to go to Africa as a missionary. I really don't want to serve God. You know, God's not like that. God will never ask us to do that which we don't want to do. He'll never ask us to do something that's not acceptable. He will, however, as we're renewed in our minds through the word of God, change our minds and our desires so that our will and his will are the same, so that we desire God's will for our life. Psalm 37. Psalm 37. Psalm 37 and verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of thine heart. You know, the reason why God gives us the desires of our heart. Is because we're delighting ourselves in the Lord. In other words, as you and I delight ourselves in the Lord, you and I'll start to desire what He desires. And because we desire what God desires, God will give us the desires of our heart. We'll want what He wants. We'll desire what He desires. We'll think like He thinks. And so God will change our minds. So you and I will not find any of his will burdensome. will not find it unacceptable. You and I will find that what he's asked us to do is something that we love to do because his will is now our will. Somebody said, renew your mind, says Paul. and You'll not only find and prove that the will of God is good, you'll find it highly acceptable, no longer grievous. In fact, what we'll find is that, the love, is that we love it. And we'll find that it's not only good, it's not only acceptable, but we'll find that it's perfect. What it says there, that we may prove was a good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Perfect here means complete. The idea is that it's free from defect, free from stain, free from injury. God's will is perfect. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. You know, it's perfect because it's the will of God. What else should we expect from a perfect God except a perfect will? if you really think it through, if God's will, if God wants you and I to do His will, then the logical conclusion is that that will must be perfect because a perfect God is asking us to do His will. But it's perfect in another sense. It's perfect because all it asks of us is perfect. God's not going to ask you and I to do anything that's imperfect. That isn't what it ought to be. You know, it's not going to be like, you know, you get a, a promise of something and then you get there and find that it doesn't live up to the expectation of the advertising was not as good as the product, or was better than the product, if you like. You know, so you saw this great ad for something, and and it looks spectacular. How many times have you done this? looks spectacular. And finally, you find the, the, the thing that it's talking about, and it's nowhere near. It doesn't live up to expectation. Well, when God's will is presented to you and I in His Word, it always lives up to expectation. Because everything God asks of us is perfect. There is nothing wrong with the will of God, folks. It's not flawed. No one who ever is renewed in their minds by the word of God and is scrutinizing the will of God in the word of God finds that God's will is anything other than perfect. It's not flawed. There's nothing flawed about God's will for you and I. It is the perfect solution to life. It's true of salvation, isn't it? There's nothing flawed in God's will for the unsaved. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. So God wants everyone to be saved, and there is nothing flawed about that will of God. That is a perfect will. And everyone who trusts Jesus Christ, their Savior, finds that that which is promised is, is fulfilled. You and I were never shortchanged at the moment of salvation. When you and I placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we found that salvation was everything God promised it to be, and so much more. You know that's true of God's will. When you surrender to God, when you present your body as a living sacrifice, whole and acceptable unto God, as a reasonable first, so. Service and you're not conformed to this world, but you're transformed by the new mind. What you find is that that which God promises in His will is perfect, it's beyond expectation. There's no defects, there's no flaws in it. God's plan for men and women is that you and I would be perfect. Look at Ephesians chapter 4, please. Ephesians 4. Verse 11 says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. This is the reason why he gave these teachers, the gifted men to the church. He gave them for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God wants you and I to be perfect. In fact, God cannot plan anything less for us than that, can he? A perfect God wants you and I to be conformed to the image of His son and therefore what he wants for you and I is to be perfect. Somebody said God's will for us is not just that we should not go to hell or that we should stop committing certain sin, he is bringing us to perfection's height and nothing less. I mean that's the ultimate goal isn't it? We've been changed from glory to glory into the image of Christ so that one day you and I are going to be presented on heaven's shore as perfect before him. Isn't that what Ephesians 5 talks about? Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. And verse uh, 25 says, husband love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the wash of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not even spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy without blemish. He's going to present us holy with that blemish. God wants nothing less for us than we be perfect. You right. in the Colossians, the Apostle Paul tells us why we ought to preach Christ. He says that we preach Christ so that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Go to Colossians chapter 1, please. Colossians chapter 1. And verse twenty-five, Colossians one. And verse twenty-five. Wherefore I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which has given me for you to fulfil the word of God. And then verse twenty-seven, to whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of the mystery among the churches, which is in Christ, in you, the hope of glory. Whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, and also labor, striving according to the working, which worketh in me mightily. You know, God wants people to see Christ in us, the hope of glory. And therefore he preached, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom, so that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. God desires... For us, nothing less than perver- perfection, that which is best for us. 1st As long as 4, 3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Now, as believers, you and I are marked for perfection. 2nd Timothy tells in chapter 3 all scriptures is given by inspiration of God, as prophet of doctrine, reproof, correction, and, and, and righteousness, that the man of God may be. Thoroughly furnished unto all good works. God's word is given to us that we might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. It's God's intention for us. He has a perfect will for us. You know what God wants for you and I is the best. There's not a child of God here tonight that God does not want his best for you. God isn't out about making your life miserable. He doesn't want our lives to be pointless. He doesn't want our lives to be miserless. He doesn't want our lives to be unfulfilling. He wants our lives to be perfect. He wants what's best for us. Now, there are times in our life where that seems, the will of God seems to be at odds with what's best for us, but we need to understand that the will of God is always good. It's always perfect. It's always acceptable. It's always Those things for us, it's God's best. God wants what's best for you and me. And all he asks for us is that you and I would present our bodies as living sacrifice whole and acceptable unto God and that we'd allow him to transform us by the renewing of our minds so that as we study the word of God we may scrutinize the will of God for our lives so that we might find that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for us. When you and I are renewed in the mind, not only will we find God's will is good and acceptable, we'll find satisfaction in God's will. We'll find that we need nothing more than what he wants for us. You know sometimes we look at what God's asking of us and we look at it and we can be a little disappointed because we wanted this And God wants this. But you know, this, while it might look good, is not good for us, but this is. Just ask Joseph. Ask Joseph. pastor's been looking at him in Genesis. Ask Joseph. Would he have rather been at home with his mom and dad or in that pit? Well, home must look a whole lot better than that pit. Would he rather be at home with mum and dad or in Potiphar's house as a slave in Egypt? Well, home looked a whole lot better. Would he rather be at home with mum and dad or in that prison? For that matter, where would he rather be, in Potiphar's house or the prison? But ultimately, God had a 13-year plan for him. And in that 13 years, there was times along the way where I'm sure Joseph must have looked at these things and wondered where in the world it was heading to. But if you ask Joseph today, when you get to glory, you ask Joseph, was it worth it all? And I'll guarantee you, you'll say this, it was. Because God's will was good. God's will was acceptable, and God's will was perfect. And at the end of the day, what a perfect will God's light will for us for Joseph. Ask Daniel the same question. Ask Moses the same question. Ask Joshua the same question. Ask Peter, Paul and John the same question. Ask all the Christian martyrs throughout the church age the same question and they'll all tell you that God's will is always good. God's will is always acceptable. God's will is always perfect. There's nothing to fear in willing to do the will of God we'll find that God's will becomes our will when we surrender to him we'll find the best thing in life is the will of God we may from time to time become fleshly in our thinking but all that will do is create dissatisfaction in our lives you know the song says Christ is all I need and that really says it all. We're to yield to God and give him our minds so that we can know his perfect will. Our will must be yielded before God will reveal his will and use us. Martin Lord Jones said this, renew your minds, my friends. Give diligence to this. Do all you can to develop this new thinking because as you do so, you will make these grand discoveries of the will of God that is always good, always right, always best for us and has our highest interests at heart. God is always perfect and we will not find contentment until we have found something even higher. Are you ready then to say something like this, nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee, E'en though it be the cross that raiseth me, still shall all my songs shall be, nearer my God to thee, nearer to thee. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove that will of God, that we may prove that it's always good, that it's always acceptable, it's always perfect. Just remember that Christ is all we need. And remember that doing God's will is the only way to find true fulfillment and joy in this life. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father God, for the promise in your word that your your will for us is always good. It's always acceptable and it's always perfect. Lord, help us. To present our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable unto you. And let us, Father God, be transformed daily by the new of our minds, so that we might walk in the center of your will, which is the perfect place to be. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.